You are listening to the Grace Covenant Church Audio Podcast. on the Traveling Light series, uh, just talking about a number of different things such as worry, depression, guilt, and uh, this morning we're going to be talking about the uh, issue of hurt. And how do we deal with these things? These things that we carry around in life, this baggage that we have in life, and that it affects us in one way, shape, or form. And sometimes we may not realize that it affects us. Sometimes that, you know, we think that we may be free of some of this stuff or it may not have the impact that it's actually having. And a lot of times we can walk in deception of that, especially today when we're talking about the concept of hurt. Now, some people don't have any problem talking about hurt. Some people are very emotionally honest with themselves and with others, and they can freely talk about those things that they've had happen in their lives, and they're able to process that in a healthy way, and that's great. But honestly, for the majority of us, and especially for men, talking about hurt is a very difficult thing, if not almost impossible thing to do. Because it requires a level of vulnerability. We have to actually acknowledge that we can be hurt. We actually have to acknowledge that we're not resilient, that we're not made of iron, and that, you know, the, the fact is, is that, you know, a lot of us like to put on this facade of, you know, no, I'm okay. I don't have any issues. Especially if you've been walking with Jesus for a number of different years. That, you know, you know we get into this thing of, um, well, I'm, I'm living victorious. I don't have anything. I just, just give it all to Jesus. And I don't have any issues. That doesn't bother me. I'm free from all of that. And I'm not saying that may not be the case for some. But I'm saying for them, a lot of times when I encounter that, I actually have to step back and take a pause and go, yeah, but you're not seeing you from this side. I'm I'm seeing you kind of leak from here to there. I'm seeing, you know, some things kind of come out that you're really not being honest with yourself about. Because the reality is when we carry hurt and we carry unresolved and we don't deal with it, it leaks outside of us. We find way, it can take a number of different forms. It can take a way of, you know, how some people kind of overreact to a certain situation. You're kind of going, where did that come from? Why did, why, what's that hot button there? And it can be the fact that it stemmed from something that happened to them before, and it just it, it, it reminds them, it awakens them of that. It can be, you know, they deal with hurt through anger. Some people just get angry about everything, and that's their number one go-to emotion. That, you know, I just deal with pain by getting angry and fight against it. And they think that somehow, a lot of times, they'll kind of wear it as, well, you know, I'm, I'm being a man, I'm walking around, I'm not letting anything get into me, I'm fighting against whatever that is. Like, no, you're just getting angry. You're not really fighting anything. You're just getting angry about a situation. And, you know, what your kids see it, your wife see it, your friends see it, and somehow you're not seeing it. You know, we just can tend to, and I want to use this carefully, but we can tend to over-spiritualize things and just say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm living, living victoriously. Well, you know what? I, I don't see a Savior that modeled it that way. I don't see a Savior that kind of just kind of walked in denial about his pain and his hurt. You know, our hurts keep hurting if we do three things. First thing is that if we ignore it, if we minimize it, or if we hide it. A hurt will keep hurting us if we ignore it, if we minimize it, or if we hide it. You know, just because something is unseen does not mean it's unreal. Just because you don't necessarily see the fact that you may be dealing with hurt to some degree doesn't mean it's not there and it's not real. 
You know, I can even see this sometimes, quite frankly, in not necessarily senior leaders, but ministers and such that have been in this, because, you know, we all have to walk along in a way that we've got it all together, that nothing really ever bothers us, that, you know, we're just one step closer to Jesus and everybody else, and that we don't deal with the same problems that everybody else deals with. And that's certainly not, not me. And I don't think it represents any of the other pastoral staff here. But I think it's a temptation because you've got to think that, no, 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 I've got this all together. And the fact of the matter is, is that, no, I've worked with and seen a lot of leaders to where they walk in that level of denial and they walk in kind of this bravado, spiritual bravado, and they don't deal with their stuff. And the staff and everybody else around them is going, wow, you've got a blind spot a mile wide. That, now, I mean, you may not think you're dealing with this, but we can see it. And so we want the Holy Spirit to bring us to light on those blind spots where we may be dealing with hurt. You know, the reality is, is that we dealt with this when the fall happened with Adam and Eve. It just didn't affect all of creation necessarily physically, but it affected us emotionally and mentally as well. A level that, 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 there's just, that everything just went wrong in that moment. And that has an impact on who we are today. But Christ represented and he showed us that he was a healthy emotional being. That Christ dealt with his emotions in a very healthy and life-giving way. We see that he rejoiced greatly at the good report of the 70 that he had sent out in Luke 10. We see that he wept at Lazarus' grave. We see that he was deeply grieved in the Garden of Gethsemane. That he felt intense anger. We read about in John 2. Or he loved his disciples. He loved Lazarus and his sisters. And he loved the rich young ruler. Christ experienced a gamut of emotions. But Isaiah 53 tells us that he also experienced the fact that he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Christ experienced hurt. Christ dealt with hurt, but he dealt with it in a way that was holy, in a way that was life-giving, not life-taking. The fact is, is that you will and you have encountered hurt in your life. Every single person in this room has encountered some level of hurt and pain in your life, and I can pretty much guarantee that almost every single or every single person in this room is still dealing with some level of that in your life today. Because some of the wounds go so deep and some of them go so hard that you still, you still feel it today. We have to understand that God is a relational being himself. We see that represented within the Trinity, that there is a relationship there. God created us for relationship. And when those relationships are betrayed or they go wrong or somebody does something to hurt us, it has an impact on who we are and how we perceive life and how we walk through this life. And we have to be willing to acknowledge and to see our hurt in order to deal with it. We have to see to be free. If you're going to deal with hurt, you have to see in order to be free. So we all have to stop and we all have to just shake off our pride and surrender ourselves and acknowledge the fact that we are vulnerable human beings and that we can be hurt and we begin there. And we say right now, Holy Spirit, in this room, let's reveal to each and every person a level of hurt or something that they may not be aware of that you want to bring light to and that you want to bring healing to in this morning before we get out of the service. And let's believe in that. So how are the different ways that we can be hurt? 
Well, I mean, we can be hurt in a number of different ways, but there are like <clears throat> just a few I kind of want to count, cover that I think we all experience to some degree in common. The first is, is that we can be hurt by our parents. <clears throat> now, before I go down this road, I want to give the disclaimer that I do not believe in blaming mommy and daddy for everything. Okay? So I want all parents to feel some relief there that, first of all, you're parents, you're human beings, and you make mistakes, and you have, or you are, or you're going to hurt your kids unintentionally. It's just going to happen because we live in a flawed world. And I also think that we have to give kids the, the um, benefit of the doubt that they're much more resilient than society sometimes tells us that they are. And, I mean, I think about some of the things that I did as a kid and just, I mean, like, some of the toys I see now, they're, they're so safeguarded. They're practically, everything is surrounded by styrofoam or some kind of Nerf material because they won't want to get them to hurt. And then I remember having, like, these Tonka trucks made out of aluminum cast iron metal with edges that you could just cut yourself on. In fact, they were designed that way because that's what part, part of being a kid was. If you didn't bleed playing with your toys and you weren't a kid. So, you know, it, this, this whole thing of, you know, uh, see, see all that now, and sometimes we can just get a little bit overprotective and have to realize that, no, we're more resilient sometimes than we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. But some of us have experienced some parenting that is unhealthy and that is hurtful. And it's due to the fact that, you know, reality is, is that hurt people hurt people. And I don't want to psychologize a lot of things away because also I believe in the fact that sometimes things stem from the fact that we have been hurt and that there are implications regarding that. And then sometimes the fact that things happen in our life simply because of sin. And that's it. It's just sin. We're selfish, sinful people at times, and we have to acknowledge the fact that it's just sin, and we bring it before Christ. We, ask for, we uh, confess, we ask for forgiveness, and we walk in freedom. So we need to distinguish between those things because there's a lot of blame shifting that can happen. And the only way to truly be free is to acknowledge where the real root problem actually stems from. So in this situation, let's talk about parents and talk about the fact that sometimes parents hurts us, hurt us by being unprepared or unavailable. <clears throat> now, unprepared can mean that, you know, simply that they just weren't prepared to become parents, that... Whatever situation was, it's kind of taken off guard. They necessarily weren't in an emotionally mature place themselves or the fact that they haven't dealt with their own stuff themselves and therefore they pass it down. Now, the Bible gives us a great example of that several times. If you look at David, King David, King of Israel, man after God's own heart, great example, writes these Psalms. We look at him and go, oh, wow, what an incredible man. Yes, he was a great man. He was a terrible father absolutely terrible father. You got a situation where Amnon rapes his half-sister Tamar and then doesn't do anything about it. Then you got Absalom that raises up and goes, well, wait a minute, this is completely unjust. And then you got the family dysfunction going galore. David's had a, uh, an affair with Bathsheba. He kills Bathsheba's husband. I mean, all this great dysfunctional that would make a great sitcom or a miniseries today on TV. And <clears throat> all of that stems from the fact, I wonder... I'm not saying it does, but I wonder is the fact that did David actually deal with his own baggage to the degree that he could have? I mean, you've got a situation to where, you know, his father didn't really have a lot of confidence and faith in him. His brothers mocked him and ridiculed him. Do you think that has some kind of impact on who, how he saw himself and perceived himself in some way? 
and how he learned to deal with relationships in the midst of that? If you don't think that's the case, then, well, let's look at David's son, Solomon. I mean, how many wives and concubines do you need? And we got over 900 there. I would think it's safe to say that Solomon had a little bit of a problem. And where did that come from? And then you see, it's not only in Solomon's um, preoccupation with sex, but it's also the fact that he just drove, at one point, almost everybody to the brink of collapse by building the city because he was just so driven to get something done and to build that city. There was something about proving in the midst of that. So we see this stuff reflected in the Bible, and the thing is that that's the way that it works. That if you don't deal with your stuff, then you wind up acting out and passing it down from one generation to the next. And that's where we want to stop it today. So they're unavailable. Job 14 says, If his sons are honored, he does not know it. If they are brought low, he does not see it. He feels but the pain of his own body and mourns only for himself. Great scripture just talking about the unavailability of a parent or unavailability of a father because he's so preoccupied with himself. It's when you put your job before everything else or when it's when you uh, put anything above your kids or your family and you're communicating to them that this is more important than you are. Your value is down here. This value is up there. And they begin to believe that and begin to accept that. They have poor priorities, always saying that they're too busy or too tired or something else is too important to be available. They just become completely emotionally or physically uh, or mentally unavailable. And a lot of times we see ourselves mirrored in the responses of our parents' faces. You know, the fact is that kids sometimes lack the reasoning skills to figure out what they see in their parents' faces and hear in their voices and what that reflects. You know, here's the reality. Children are incredible recorders of history, but they're terrible interpreters. They can remember things but they don't have the ability and the reasoning capability of able to interpret what's happening in that point in time. So they, they're, they're allowed to kind of reason within themselves due to the capability they have at that time in that moment. And then that thought, that reasoning becomes a belief, and then they begin to act out upon their beliefs for the rest of their life. So we have to acknowledge that we can be hurt in those various ways you know, I had a, a situation where this young man was counseling for a number, um, for a, a period of time. And uh, he was telling me about his father. And, you know, he just kind of believed his father didn't necessarily love him. But when he started talking about it, and when he started explaining it a little bit more, I began to realize that, no, this isn't like the other situations I heard of. This guy seems like he loves his son. And so I said, you know what, Curtis, look. I actually believe your father did love you. I just don't think that he loved you in the way that you wanted to be loved. And so you've just kind of interpreted that as, well, he didn't love me. And I think you need to allow the fact that your father is uniquely and wonderfully made, as you are. And just because you two get people are different, you've got to learn to compensate for those differences and be able to receive from him what he was trying to give you and not resent it because it didn't come in the way in which you wanted it. That makes all the difference in the world. Your perception of your father's love is dramatically impacting how you see life and how you live it out. Those things have an incredible impact on our life. So we can be hurt by our parents. Second, we can be hurt by liars and thieves. And what I mean by that, people that have stolen something from us. People that have taken something from us. People that have taken away our security. 
And that can be in a number of different ways. It's a parent that steals from his family uh, for his own needs or wants, not adequately providing due to spending money on their own selfish interest. I've seen that a number of times. I was a worship pastor in Nashville for a number of years. And so I had the privilege and sometimes challenge of working with the creative community in Nashville and with uh, the musicians. And I'd see it time and time and time again. People moving there, wanting to start their music careers, wanting to pursue that dream of stardom or being with a band or doing what, getting a record deal, whatever it may be. And to the fact that they would come and I would see wives that were absolutely completely exhausted because they were taking on more than they should have. And they were carrying the weight of that family. And then when I hear that, okay, coming to the church for assistance to pay for rent or to pay for food or whatever that may be, but they went out and bought a brand new guitar just last week. And I'm going, wait a minute, something's wrong here. Your priorities are out of order. And the fact is that you're actually stealing from your family to pursue your own selfish goal and your own selfish dream. And the fact is, is that this is your number one priority. And if God wants to work this out, he'll do it in a way that's not going to be at the sacrifice of your wife and kids. But the kids will see that and go, okay, well, that's where I fall in the line there. I am of not, I'm not of the same level of importance. And therefore, I need to learn and compensate. compensate. Someone that steals our stability is an unstable home environment. Uh, when children realize that security is jeopardized due to irresponsible or unstable family environments, they will learn to focus on themselves in order to survive. You've got a family home dynamic where you're fighting all the time and you're going back and forth. There's yelling, there's screaming, and there's all this kind of stuff. And you're, just, you're, trying, to deal with, you're, you're trying to deal with that as a kid. It, it's just too much. Can't make head. It's incredibly unstable. You don't know what mood you're going to be in from one day to the next. And so you're constantly walking on eggshells. And what eventually begins to happen is that, okay, in order for me to survive in this house, I'm going to have to learn to take care of me. I'm going to learn to focus on my needs, what I want, when I want, how I want it, and nobody else is going to watch out for me. And I'm actually going to shut myself off from all this drama because I've had all I can take. And I'm going to live my life out this way. And guess what? That child grows up into an adult. That adult gets married. And guess what? It repeats itself. Because now they're so self-focused and so selfish and so self-determined upon what they want. And you bring that into a marriage relationship. And it is never going to work. Because the number one killer of marriages is, well, pride. You know what the number two killer of marriages is? Pride. You know what the number three killer of marriages is? Pride selfishness. So you're not serving the other, you're not sacrificing yourself for the other person, and guess what? It repeats itself. And so now it's all this yelling and bickering and everything there, and then the next kid, the next generation sees it, and they go on to repeat it. Hurt, undealt with hurt, has a way of bleeding from one generation to the next, whether you want it to or not. If you don't deal with it, and you don't acknowledge the, uh, the reality of it, and then someone steals our safety through abuse. Now, there are people in this room that have gone through terrible situations of uh, either physical or sexual abuse or mental abuse or verbal abuse, whatever that may be. And I've heard stories before, and I'm sure there are stories in this room that will make your skin crawl. And the reality is that those things come in. They steal our stability, and they steal our safety. And they, give us the, they, they rob us of the capacity to be able to function like a normal, healthy human being. 
if we don't deal with it and we don't put it in a proper place. Now, let me, let me give a disclaimer right here, right now with that, <clears throat> especially in those situations, those really tragic situations. I believe that God can bring healing absolutely, completely, whatever that looks like, physically, emotionally, mentally, whatever that may be. And I believe that God heals absolutely at times. But I also believe that there are times where a level of healing will come, but it will look a little bit different. It looks like this. If you have an injury, uh, say you've been in a car wreck or you've had some kind of sports injury or whatever that may be, um, you know that you can heal from that injury and still be functional and everything goes right, but you can still feel the twinge of it, or you may still have a scar there, and therefore the skin is not as elastic as it used to be. And you, you just kind of you're kind of aware that something happened here, and that it's you know it's still not um, it's not what it would have been before the accident or before the injury, but it's still healthy and it's healed. Well, I think that things like that can happen emotionally as well. The fact is, is that you don't forget stuff like that. It's not this thing of like, bring it for Jesus and he'll wipe all that. Okay, You're not going to forget that. You're not going to forget the memories of those things that happened to you. Some of those things are tragic. They're scarring. You're absolutely going to remember that. You're not saying that you, you, know, you forget it, but the thing is, is that we learn to put it in a place and we learn to bring it to Christ to where it no longer has power over us. That's the way I kind of see healing in a lot of these situations. It no longer dictates who we are. It no longer robs us of our stability. It no longer has the power to keep us rooted in our past. That it, 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 the fact is, is that you still feel it. And the thing is, is that there actually can be a beauty in that scar. Because guess what? I have scars in my life. I have things that have impacted my life, impacted my identity, and yes, God's brought healing to that, but the reality is, is that I'm also aware that those scars are still there. I'm also aware that when certain things happen, I can kind of feel it at times, and I recognize, oh, there's a trigger there, and if I don't continue to bring it before Jesus, I know that it has the capacity to open that wound up again, and I begin to become tied back to my past. And as a result, I have to continually... I'm not always successful, but I am I'm, I'm absolutely trying to be vigilant about being continually bringing it before Jesus. Because guess what? That scar, that woundedness, that hurt has now created an absolute total dependency upon Jesus in order to live free, live free of it. And in that, there's a beauty in that. That God allows those scars and those hurts to come into our life because in ways, when we bring it before Christ, it actually brings us closer to Jesus. And it does it in a way to where we actually have to be consistent about it through the duration of our life. So I've learned, rather than resenting my scars, rather than resenting my pain and my hurt and cursing God that it ever came to my life, I'm actually now able to come and go, I don't think I would have the relationship with you, Jesus, that I do today if it hadn't been for that. That God used it in order to create something more beautiful in the midst of that. And I know that those that are going, wait a minute, you don't understand what I dealt with and what, I'm, what happened to me. How can you say that? I'm going, I get it. I understand. If it was a truly terrible situation and abusive, I, I want to extend all the compassion in the world to your situation and your story. Absolutely. But I also believe in a Christ that doesn't want us to live in bondage to that for the rest of our lives. And at some point in time, we have to put it in its proper place and not allow it to have power over us any longer.
So we hurt by liars and thieves, and we also have a self-inflicted hurt. These are self-inflicted wounds and the ways that we deny authentic means. If we uh, have got, lived in a situation that's bad or is, uh, you know, unhealthy, sometimes we learn that our needs will not be met. So therefore, in order to cope, we must eliminate our needs. So I'm not going to have my needs met, so therefore I just will not have any needs, and therefore I'll be okay. And so you're just completely just cast off anything that you could possibly you know, need or want or whatever it is because it's easier to live through life not needing anything than actually have a need and, and not be met and go through that hurt and pain again. We'll deny emotions and we live with shame. Shame tells us that we have to be perfect and we have to be perfect for the quality of life. We're driven, we're striving, we're trying to be the perfect person, not let anybody see our flaws and our faults, and we have continually walking through that. So we have the issue of shame. Now, our scripture in Luke 6, 27 through 31, I want to read this real quick. But you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, in that scripture, that's really hard. That's a really hard passage of Scripture. That's really hard to deal with, especially if you're dealing with a lot of hurt. What do you mean I have to forgive them and just kind of let them off the hook? No, I've got scenarios where they're going to pay, and I want to see them pay. They deserve to pay. And, you know, depending upon the level of hurt, that can be a really difficult passage, but it's something that Christ exemplified himself. And Christ would not ask us to do something that he would not give this the ability or equip us to do. And it's for our own benefit. So how do we unpack our hurts? How do we go through this? We, well, first of all, we express your pain and powerlessness to Jesus and invite him to heal your heart. We see that in the Psalms where it says, Cast your burdens upon the Lord. The Lord is near and the brokenhearted and saved the crushed spirit. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. So we bring it to Christ. We acknowledge, I don't have the power to do this on my own. So Jesus, you're going to have to take this, and you're going to have to help me to deal with it. I give this hurt over to you. I've had it so close to me. I've tried to make it work for myself. And now I'm just going to give it over to you. I'm going to let you deal with it, because I realize that after all these years of me trying to fix it, I'm doing a terrible job. So Christ, I surrender this to you. I'm no longer going to try to manipulate it or walk in a way to where I think I'm going to be the um, problem solver. So we allow Christ to come in and to to fix that. Second of all, we choose not to be a victim. In Romans 8.37 it says, In all these things we are more conquerors through him who loved us. That Christ gives us the ability to conquer and to prevail and to have victory over whatever situation it is. Now, the thing is is about victim. I realize, again, some of us have had situations where we've truly been victims in a terrible situation. But there's a difference between uh, being a victim of a situation and then living as a victim and living as one being victimized. The people that are going, okay, 
I am a victim. They identify themselves as a victim. They are not letting, the, letting go of the past. The fact is they've created an identity around being a victim. Therefore, they're getting a level of affirmation, of attention, of perceived love as a result of that. And getting some needs, some legitimate needs met in an illegitimate way. Because that, we're trying to meet it through, this, through, the, um, through the way of being in a victim status. And so you're continually living your life as a victim. I was a victim of this. I was a victim of that. And yes, but let's remember, our past is a place of reference, not a place of residence. Okay? So we refer to that, but we don't live there. Because if you're going to hold on to your victim status, if you're going to hold on to your identity, and you're going to cling to that and go, no, this is my identity here, this is my life, then what are you going to cling to in order to move away from that? If your hands are grasping on to your victim status, you're never going to be able to go and walk, reach toward the cross and claim your true identity. You can't have two identities. You can only have one. And so you have to let go of your victim identity in order to embrace your identity in Christ. So that is the only way you're going to be able to truly experience freedom. Is that at some point in time, and I'm not diminishing your pain. I want you to hear me. I'm going to reiterate this. I want, to, I want to, you to understand that there's a level of compassion here for what it is that you've gone, from, gone through. And so I'm not saying, oh, get over it. Stop it. Pick yourself up by the bootstraps. That's just garbage. We don't have the ability to do that. Only Christ has the ability to carry us through this. I'm not saying that I want to extend compassion, but at some point you have to be willing to let go of your past in order to embrace your future. People will change when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of change. So when it gets to a point to where this is too much, I I can't continue to live this way, then you'll change. Then you'll let go. Happens with all of us. That we'll embrace the pain of change. We're too afraid of changing. Well, who will I be if I'm not a victim? Who, what, how, how will people relate to me if I'm not a victim? Well, let go and find out. But you will never experience the fullness of life. You'll never experience the fullness in Christ if you continue to hold on to your victim status. And number three, we live in the present and stop rehearsing the past. That we love, as I said before, to kind of rehearse these things over and over and over and over and over and over again in our lives. Uh, you know, I'm one of those that I will kind of create scenarios where, you know, I'm one of those people necessarily, sometimes I'll say what I want to say in a situation in a moment. Not always righteous, not always the best thing. And then, you know, you'll walk away and go, ah, oh, I should have said that. I should have, oh, I could have done. and then you start rehearsing these scenarios over and over again. Or I would have handled this way. I would have done it this way. Or, you know, or all these things to where, you know, your judge and jury and the person that's hurt you is sitting there and you're just like, <laughs> I'm going to ream down my vindication upon you. And, you know, you got all that, but that reinforces something in our mind. You know, that there are some studies that show that we talk, you know, we all talk to ourselves. You know, whether you admit it or not, you do. And don't tell me you don't. We all talk to ourselves to some degree. And, uh, you know, when we talk to, you know, outside audibly, we talk at a rate usually about 150 to 200 words a minute. Do you know that when you talk to yourself, you talk to yourself at a rate of about 1,300 words per minute? Think about that much messaging getting through to your brain at that rapid pace. 
It just reinforces what you believe about yourself. It reinforces what you believe about a situation. It reinforces what you believe about others. The thing is, is that when we were born again, we were made anew. We were brought from death to life. But our minds were not renewed yet. Because Scripture tells us that we are to be, embrace the process of renewing our minds. And so we have to engage. When we are committed to renewing our mind, we are therefore able to approve the will of God. And approving the will of God means that to understand and agree with what God wants of us with a view of putting it into practice. Understand the will of God is that he wants us to embrace our identity in him. He wants to embrace everything, the, the best of this life that he has for us. But we have to continue to renew our mind in that way of letting go of the past, of rehearsing these scenarios and saying, God, you know what? No, I can't, I can't continue to have this recording play in my mind over and over and over again. I have to let it go. I can't continue to rehearse the hurt and the wound over and over and over again. Because what you're doing is that you're continuing to allow that person to have power over you. You're continuing to allow that situation to have power over you and is dictating who you are and what you're going to be. That's the key to the, the fourth point there, is that we have to forgive and let go. Luke 37, 637, it says, Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not, you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Dr. Archibald Hart says, Forgiveness is the process of letting go. It is the surrendering your right to hurt those who have hurt you. Forgiveness is not something that you wait until you feel like doing it. I ask you, when Christ was hanging on the cross and he extended forgiveness, do you think that he felt like forgiving at that moment? As he was pierced through the flesh, as he had been incredibly tortured and in so much agony and pain that at that point in time that he felt like forgiving? I don't think so. At some point in time, you've got to say, you know what, God, I'm going to take this person off of my hook and I'm going to put them on yours. I can't continue to hold on to this bitterness and this resentment and this unforgiveness because it's, having, it's, it's defining who I am. And you've seen people who walk in a level of unforgiveness. They become hard, bitter, cynical, resentful, prideful, selfish. That they just kind of become just, I don't know, almost of stone. That their heart becomes like stone. Because they just simply won't let go. And I realize, again, for those, again, that goes, go, have gone through really terrible situations, I, that can be a really di- difficult thing. Like, Jeff, you don't know what this person did to me. What this person did with me is almost torture. And you're saying, let them go? Forgive them? Yeah, I am. And not because your pain's not valid, not because your situation was not truly traumatic, but because... Jesus loves you enough, and we love you enough to say, no, you have to do this, or otherwise you're going to continue to allow this person to wound you over and over and over and over again each and every day. You realize that holding on to unforgiveness still gives the other person power over you, and you have to let that go. 
and embrace the power of the cross. And trust that God's going to work this out. You may not see justice. You may not see vindication in this lifetime. But believe me, we will all experience justice when we stand before the throne. That God, because the thing, we'll have to give an account of how we've wounded and hurt people. So justice is going to apply to everyone. And so we have to be willing to stand and to, to say, God, I let, I let this go. I, I choose to forgive this person. I don't feel like forgiving this person. It still hurts. Uh, it, it, this is an incredibly difficult thing for me to ask, but uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to forgive this person. And the key is, too, living in forgiveness is walking in forgiveness each and every day. Because there are things in my life that I've had to forgive people for, but I can find myself thinking about it and letting my mind go from time to time. And the next thing I know, I've picked it back up. And I've picked up my unforgiveness, and now I'm carrying it again. And sometimes, you know, especially after you've been wounded initially, forgiveness is a daily thing. Lord Jesus, I wake up today, and I forgive this person. Next day, God, I wake up today, and I forgive this person. I continue to forgive each and every day so I don't pick it up, and I don't carry an offense with me. Some days I'm successful. Some days I'm not. But I have to acknowledge that and realize that, you know, if I don't, make a conscious choice each and every day to say, no, I, I don't have any expectation for my own vindication here. I leave that to Jesus. Then I still give that person power over me. And then finally, we, we, um, we bless and pray for those who hurt you. Luke 27, 6, 27 through 28 says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Again, we acknowledge the fact is, is that each and every person in this room who knows Jesus has experienced grace and we all need grace. And remember that we're not just talking about other people who have hurt us, but we have to realize that we have hurt other people as well. And they're sitting in these seats or they're sitting somewhere else realizing, well, this person hurt me and I'm dealing with the pain and consequence of that. So we all need a level of grace. So wouldn't we want somebody praying for us and blessing us as well and needing to experience that same level of grace? So we pray for those and we, that have hurt us and we bless those who have hurt us. It's for our sake and it's because Christ has commanded. So what I want us to do today is that I want us to just kind of pray because I believe that there's a, everyone in this room has got some level. I don't care how old you are. I think, you know, this stuff... You know, as I get older, I realize that, you know what? You still feel stuff. You still remember stuff that happened 20, 30 years ago. And it still has, it can still have an impact on my life today. And living in freedom, I believe, is realizing that and acknowledging that. And so, no matter how old you are, you may still be dealing with a level of this in your life. And it may still have some kind of impact or, or power. And we want to just kind of break that this morning. It's just a simple prayer. Oh God, we just give this to you. And we acknowledge that this is in our life and it's having, an, it's having an impact. And for some, it may be that, you know, a prayer is a beginning. There may be a process involved. That sometimes some people's baggage, some people's luggage is packed really tight with a lot of stuff. There are a lot of things in here. And you want to unpack that slowly. Because quite frankly, we don't have the ability necessarily, the, the emotional capability to do it all at one time. 
And so you need to deal with it in steps. And that's okay. Because God can heal instantaneously, but he also heals through steps. And so there are places and there are opportunities here at Grace, and they're also within our community for you to find help and find ways to kind of deal with that so it doesn't have power over you. But the thing is that we can take our hurt and we take whatever it is that we're dealing with in our life and we can bring it to the cross and we can leave it there and knowledge that that's where it's going to reside. It's not going to reside in our lives any longer. It's not going to have the power to define me or my family or my friends or relationships. I'm just going to do what Christ did and acknowledge and say, Father, help me. Sometimes the, the, the best prayer, the only prayer that you can offer up at times is going, God, help. It doesn't have to be long. doesn't have to be proficient. It doesn't, I mean, it's just a simple, God, help. I'm dependent upon you. So I want us to pray this morning and allow the Holy Spirit to bring revelation to some people in this room. And as we're praying, I would like to ask our ministry teams if you'd come down and make your way down front so you'd be ready to receive uh, when we dismiss. But if you need more prayer, if you need to uh, process this with someone, we're going to have ministry teams up front to help you with that and make that available. But let's believe that God can give us victory and God can give us healing over those things in which we do struggle with and that we hurt. So, Father, we just give you praise and we give you glory. But, Father, Holy Spirit, I ask that you bring revelation in this room this morning to people that are dealing with levels of hurt and of pain and of sorrow. God, that you would just bring that to light, Father, but also that as you're doing that, Lord, you'd bring, God, your grace abundant in their life, that you'd just make that tangible to them. And that, Father, that you would show them how you want to minister and how you want to heal them. Lord, I pray that you show them, God, how you see them through your eyes. Lord, I pray that you reveal, Lord, their true identity in you in this moment. And, God, that you bring healing to those hurts, whatever they may be, whatever it may be that they've experienced, God, that there would be healing in this moment in the name of Jesus, that they would no longer live as victims, Father, that they would no longer give the past authority to dictate who they are and who their families are are. And that, Father, they would no longer walk in unforgiveness, but, Lord, that they would surrender this in the name of Jesus at your cross, acknowledging, Father, that you are ruler of all, that you are the high judge, and, God, that you will bring justice and vindication in your time, in your way, which is righteous and holy, and only you can do that. And, Father, we surrender that to you, Lord. I ask, God, that we walk out of this room today with a new sense, Lord, of being in purpose, and, God, of freedom, of walking in true victory, Father, which embraces, Lord, a vulnerability and authenticity and being real with ourselves, but for Lord, also laying every offense and every hurt and every problem at your feet, knowing that only you are the only one that can bring true light and true truth to the situation so that we may put it in its proper place and live with it so we may have victorious, vibrant lives. And so, Father, we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' holy name, that there would be healing in this room today. And God, that while we may be wounded, Lord, that we may also go out into the community and become wounded healers to touch others, Lord, with your light and your gospel and your grace. And Father, we ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.